This podcast was originally the audio for a work of the same name for the Nearly On Red YouTube channel, found at youtube.com slash c slash nearly on red. Though not intended to be a standalone podcast, viewers frequently consume my videos for their audio content only, so I have duplicated my work in this format to hopefully save people a step. A full list of content and platforms can be found at nearlyonred.com or the short link nearly.red, N-E-A-R-L-Y dot R-E-D. Enjoy! Welcome to the Not Quite Daily Show, Summer 2018, Episode 16, Kind Of. Today is not really going to be much of an episode. Uh, with the earthquake in Hokkaido changing the release schedule of Hanebado, I think it and Planet With are now concluding on different days. Thus, it makes sense for me to do Planet With for its finale next week and Hanebado the week afterwards. Anything else would actually be kind of nonsensical. That leaves me doing Planet With today and next week. Unfortunately, the most recent Planet With episode is less of an entry in the story and more like a setup to next episode. Interesting ideas I had about the 10th episode are now answered and mostly spelled out, but without something equally interesting to argue for with where we are in the story right now. So instead, today is just going to be a list of things we've seen in the story to this point that I think are important to its meaning, and some ways we might expect these elements to show up in next week's finale. First off, it seems that the purpose of time skipping is mostly about scaling up everyone's believable power levels. It does not appear that many of our relationships or characterizations have advanced in the brief look that we got. There is some of this, mind, like Mio and Haru having a tormented Soya in Judo Club in the interim, suggesting that they still nurse a grudge over their defeat in their armor. Their teasing is not malice, though, and they obviously have a real relationship compared to five years before. There is indication of developing affection between Soya and Tamagachihara, but with nothing definitely spelled out. I think her ability to see our People of Paradise friend when touching Soya is meant to suggest a strong bond between them, and his own apparent happiness when he can find her in his mind means that this affection is reciprocal. I still think she is going to be important to how the story ultimately resolves. Episode 11 showed that she has shown proficiency in her telepath training, but we also had her being immune to Shiraishi's hypnosis before. Coupling these to her apparently surprising ability to see the people of paradise, and I think she's being set up for something clutch. Mostly, everyone just seems to have changed their hairstyle. The two notable exceptions are Judgment and Todorai. I kind of feel like, in context, this suggests that Judgment has not actually grown over these five years, that he's still the same kid putting on airs. And Todorai was actually pretty well mature in the past and had made peace with his own pain, and so also hasn't changed as much during this time skip. We do also get an update to let us know Takizo did die in the meantime, something his gallows humor suggested at the end of episode 10. Evidently, he choked eating mochi, so he died doing what he loved. We should all be so lucky. The levity of his demise, though, I think masks that his death was a completion of his character. We find out when Yosuke visits his grave that his wife actually died young, and Takashi was his only child. Earlier in the season, when he was inside the ceiling field, he spoke to the memory of his wife about how he had to support Takashi despite Grand Paladin falling apart. 
Once Takashi is defeated and fades away, Takizo becomes alternately indifferent and reckless with his own life. I think his son was his only driving purpose, especially considering the loss of his wife, and once his son is gone, his own purpose for continuing is gone as well. This actually neatly cleans up the finale, because it suggested pretty heavily that Takashi was some offshoot of the dragon itself all along, and the story Takizo told Yosuke about finding him falling to earth and raising him is probably near the mark. The time-space portal evidently dropped the dragon out 50 years into the past, and Takashi was like some kind of psychic projection of the dragon or something, uh, perhaps some unconscious part of his original person. Thus, eliminating Takizo from the story allows the finale to be about the dragon and his brother's relationship instead of also sort of about whatever we can call his relationship with Takizo. Might still have some impact, uh, but it will certainly simplify things. So as I already mentioned, it seems Nebula's execution by time-space portal failed, just kicking the dragon out elsewhere in the universe. At first then, it seems curious for them to wait on him to wake up. After all, they tried to kill him before, and it would certainly be easier to finish the job while he is still unable to fight back. But it eventually becomes clear that they are not going to make another pass at executing him. Rather, they intend to redeem him. Shiraishi explains that they should not try to kill him again, as that is not something that races choosing the evolution of love should support. This sounds more like Sensei's line of thinking, right? While he and the Generalissimo did have their epic throwdown in episode 10, their debate was always more of a philosophical one. I think even arranging such a fight where Sensei and Soya and Ginko had a chance to take out the last sealing device really just underscores that the Generalissimo was not as confident in the decision to execute the dragon or seal the earth as he seemed. After one of the People of Paradise actually made it possible to reverse earth sealing, I'm sure his faith in that plan was pretty shaken. Thus, putting it up to a contest of wills and battle becomes a way of externalizing the decision, and gives some lip service to being fair, in the same way the Generalissimo believed in giving Earth advanced warning about the sealing. Sensei's original goal was to save the people of Sirius and the dragon. Keeping Soya alive and cared for is the closest he can get to saving Sirius, and preventing Earth from being sealed becomes an extension of his philosophy of watching over a people rather than controlling them. The amount of autonomy he gave Soya in their fights and decisions all along is consistent with his belief in the self-determination of others. Thus now, as they attempt to defeat the dragon, Sensei has a chance to meet his original goal in totality. Now, defeat actually turns out to mean making it possible that he can join the people of Paradise, as he is apparently the lone remnant of them that didn't surrender their physical form. In a way, then, he is much like Soya, who is also the lone remnant of his people. I am going to guess that the parallels go much further than that. We don't know the circumstance of why the dragon refused to ascend with the rest, though this does seem like prime material for the finale. But we do know that the People of Paradise dude who's been talking to Soya is the brother of the dragon, and so his form as Soya's brother makes a lot more sense. His brother was also the person Soya talked to in his mind when he was still trying to avenge Sirius, so in a lot of ways, he thought of defeating the dragon as avenging his brother. Now, though, the actual key to the fight is Soya, specifically because he is the only person who can forgive the dragon for destroying Sirius. 
Seeing the dragon as part of a pair of brothers, just like himself, is probably a step on the way to legitimizing this forgiveness in both his mind and the dragon's. It's possible that Soya's own experience with a revenge path might be relevant. After thinking he had eradicated the dragon's power and getting his revenge, Soya doesn't become happy or peaceful. He becomes melancholy, despondent. He is empty inside. Revenge was not sweet or even fulfilling. Until he changed his sense of what he fought for, he could hardly get back out of bed. It wouldn't surprise me then to learn that the dragon is equally empty and perhaps for the same reason. His uncompromising sense of justice sounds an awful lot like the uncompromising path of vengeance that Soya tried to walk down. Let's not forget that when Haru was consumed by the need to seek revenge from Miyu, this was what caused her to lose control and completely take the form of a dragon. It wouldn't be surprising if the dragon's mental state was similar to hers during that rampage. Relevant to this too, I think, is the conversation Ginko and Soya have on the rooftop, where Soya suggests that Ginko has the right to revenge herself on him. Not only does she refuse, she reaffirms their bonds as an adoptive family and invites him to come to Riel one day, where he will face acceptance and forgiveness rather than any ire or justice. Soya evidently still harbors some remorse for what Sirius did, yet Ginko absolves him completely. Thus, I think related to this is the pattern of guilt that we have talked about before. Several characters have been shown to draw some motivation from feeling guilty. Torai about his mother, Sensei about Sirius and the dragon, Benika about her partner, Soya even feels a kind of survivor's guilt about living through the destruction of Sirius. It would therefore be unsurprising to me that the dragon and perhaps his brother have some feelings of guilt from their past. Maybe the brother feels guilty about whatever caused the dragon to stay behind, and maybe the dragon had some kind of guilt that caused us to refuse the ascension of his people in the first place. Related to that idea is the final thing I want to mention, which is masks. We learn that the dragon's body is really just psychic armor that he has summoned again and again, covering himself in more and more layers until he has even forgotten the person underneath. Such an extreme action sounds like it could have arisen out of some crushing guilt, no? Hiding how one really feels with a mask is something we talked about several times and is clearly visualized in the closing credits with the disparity between the reflections on Soya's mask. It's probably important to note then that Soya has two examples of removing a mask himself. One is in the end credits when he removes the mask to look out on Sirius that was, the ideal that can never again be. The other is in his showdown with Yosuke in episode nine. This is when he has chosen a new purpose for himself. He appears outside of Sensei, putting himself in danger, yet reveals his true self and insists that he be called by his real name. Accepting a purpose of working to defend others rather than only pursuing his own sense of revenge leads him to a situation in which he doesn't want to hide anymore. If the dragon's form and unyielding sense of justice are both masks he hides behind, then getting him to remove them may require something similar. He must adopt a new purpose that supports others rather than judges them. Okay then, those are all my scattered thoughts as we head into the finale. I look forward to examining the series in total. Um, I might take an extra day or two when that time comes, we'll just we'll see. Um, at this point, we'll have one more Planet With episode, uh, one more for Hanebado, and two more to finish out to review Starlight. That should end our summer 2018 season. Um, thank you for your patience with this uh, experimental format. 
title music by Russell J. Crowe, other music licensed from the artists at Audio Jungle, script, performance, and editing by Theta. Theta is played by Redacted. Original video can be found at youtube.com slash C slash Nearly on Red, and a full list of credits is available at nearlyonred.com. Until next time, thanks for everything.